Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and let's go to verse 19. This morning, Paul declares to us, for me to live as Christ, uh, to die as gain. Now, last week, we spoke about that victory over suffering. Remember that Paul is in house arrest. He's in Roman prison for two years. He's guarded 24-7 by four praetorium guards. In fact, the Bible says that he was shackled uh, to at least one. We know that he led many of those to Christ. We, we see at the end of the, the letter to the Romans, he, he mentions those that were in the palace. And so many came to know Christ. Concerning Paul's suffering, he was in house arrest. It sounds like it should be great, but it was a hardship for him. He wanted to be uh, with the church at Philippi and with other churches. He wanted to be with the body of Christ. And so can you imagine the pains he was going through and then being shackled, being chained to a guard constantly? And so even though he's in house arrest, he's restrained. And it's got to be very difficult for him. Last week, Paul also encouraged because while he was in chains, while he was in prison, there was false teachers that were preaching and pretense. And Paul says that even through air that many would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we see uh, the situation all around us. As I mentioned, that we're praying for our brother that's over here in the hospital. It's a tough place now. It's hard on his family. It's hard on him. I've talked with Ralph many, many times, and he knows he's ready to go home to be with the Lord. But there's what Paul's going to struggle here. What about my family? I've thought about that. I mean, you wake up some mornings, and I know you're frustrated with life in general. You say, it would be better to go home to be with the Lord. I've said that many Mondays. And yet, what about my wife? What about my children? What about my three grandchildren? What about the ministry? These are the struggles that Paul went through. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, we left you with this verse last week. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says to the church at Rome and to us, even here this morning, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. He's speaking to the church, to those that are called for his purpose. He's speaking to the body of Christ. And so though we go through trials and tribulations and hardship and pain, We know in the book of James chapter 1, count it all joy when you go through various trials. How can you go through pain and then understand this passage? He says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Well, I do love God, but why am I going through this? And I have a tendency to respond just like you. It's not fair, Lord. And so imagine Paul's heart. And so let's begin here in verse 19, chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Speaking of his incarceration, of his trial. He says, For my deliverance through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now just to catch up from verse 18, because verse 19 takes off from it. Verse 18, what does it matter, Paul was saying? These false teachers, 
these false preachers. The important thing is that in every way, whether uh, from a false motive or a true motive, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There is reason, Paul's understanding. In a sense, I'm in prison. Pray for me. And then he comes into verse 19. And notice that's why Paul can say, I know, I know. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. These trials while in chains for two years in a Roman prison. God will deliver me. And listen to what he says to the Philippians through your prayers. And I know that his Holy Spirit will supply. The Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This is what Paul's saying. In other words, the Spirit of truth in Christ will deliver me. Now we know that Paul's saved. We know that Paul's born again of the Holy Spirit. But Paul's speaking further. Through my trials, God's still going to rescue me. That's the word deliverance. He's delivered me through salvation already. And so this is why he's going to declare, for me to live is Christ, uh, to die is gain. Now there's a passage of scripture that I love. I want you to mark it down. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now the book of Proverbs, listen, is the book of wisdom. Oftentimes, if if you have a routine in the morning for your devotional, I hope and pray that you're reading a psalm. I hope and pray that you're reading a proverb. The book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Get an NIV, get a New Living Translation so that you better understand it. Imagine if you read a proverb every day. By the end of the month, you have read through the book of Proverbs. If you do that throughout the year 12 times, You have read the book of Proverbs, and it's promised that it's the book of wisdom. And you should pray, Lord, give me wisdom today. Give me wisdom to run my family. Give me wisdom to be a good husband, a good wife. Give me wisdom to be a young person, to obey you, Lord, to obey my parents. Give me wisdom in my workplace. Give me wisdom over here at the university. Give me wisdom, Lord. The Bible says, if anyone has lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll give it to you freely. And there's times I don't know the answer. And I ask God, give me wisdom on this, Lord. And it's interesting. There's times when people tell you, thank you for sharing that. That was wonderful. Don't take the glory. Say, Lord, thank you for giving me those few words. And so listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Years ago, I had to experience this because we have a tendency to trust God to a certain point. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out sometimes. In verse 6, he says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Here's Paul in prison. He's in chains. He's separated uh, from his ministry. He's separated from the churches that he loved to minister to. Trust in the Lord, Paul. Trust in the Lord, church, this morning, whatever you're going through. Look at verse 20. Let's continue in our text now. According to my earnest expectation and hope that is in nothing, I will be ashamed. I like that. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ being magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Listen to the statement. Through life or death, that God would be glorified through me, through you. This is what Paul's saying. 
Listen to the translation of verse 20. If I live in tense watchfulness, that's uh, earnest expectation. If I live in intense watchfulness and hope that I will never do anything that causes shame. Paul was concerned about being an embarrassment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was concerned that he would not uh, produce doubt in others because of his ministry. Paul was concerned that there would be no controversy in his own life. That it would not take away from God. So he says, I will never do anything that causes shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ as I have been in the past and that my life will always honor Christ whether I live or die. Whatever I do as a Christian, notice the statement, whether I live or die. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whatever I do in my life, your life, let it glorify God in my workplace, in my home, in my school. As I travel, maybe I go to the gym. Let it glorify Christ, that they would see Christ in you. This is what Paul was going through. Look at verse 21 now. And here's our text this morning. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's the whole ball of wax, if you may, that Paul is speaking about here to the Philippians. Whatever I do to the glory of God, he already shared that with us. Now he says, for me to live is Christ right now, to die is gain. Either the rapture of the church is going to take me home, the rapture of the church is going to take you home, or I'm going to die. Now, the Bible says so beautifully in the New Testament that when a believer, when a brother and sister in Christ, when they pass away, when they die, it says they sleep. And, and basically, we go from one place to another place. You see, when we do the funeral service, we see uh, the body there, but the spirit and the soul has already gone to be with the Lord. And we make so much over that body. I've seen the people stroke the body, uh, comb the hair. I've seen them kiss. I've seen them hug. And those are emotions. Those are feelings. We can't take away from that. But to know in my heart that that loved one has gone home to be with the Lord, that brings joy to our hearts. Mixed emotion. Yes, you're weeping over your loved one, but they're home free. It's not easy to see them suffer and to go through much pain. Now, listen to what the NIV says here in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, the word gain speaks of personal gain. The word gain here speaks of profit. What am I going to profit through death? I'm going to be with Jesus. Imagine dying of cancer and dying of leukemia, dying of some terminal disease that's eaten your body. I've seen grown men, 200 pounds, and by the time uh, their death comes, they're down to 80 pounds. The cancer has just eaten them away, and you just look, and you remember how they were. It's hard, hard in the family. But the moment they give their last breath, they're in the presence of God. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. 
The NASB says the same thing. For me to live is, is Christ, to die is gain. The New Living Translation changes just a little bit. For me, living is for Christ and dying is even better. I like what he says there. Listen to Darby in his translation. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Blanket statement. Now, the non-believer hears statements like this and say, you guys are morbid. You guys are crazy. You're almost encouraging death. The reason they say that, because they do not know where they're going when they die. They do not know where that loved one is going when they die. And we have to trust God. Many times people come up to me and say, Pastor, I know that my loved one wasn't right with God. Do you know if maybe he went home, she went home to be with the Lord? Listen, salvation is not something that I can determine or that you can determine. My Bible says those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, everybody has an opportunity. That person that's in a car crash. Many times they get to see that car coming right at them. He's jumped over into their lane. He's coming directly. They have a split second. If they call out to Jesus right there, I believe they're saved. If a person has a heart attack and still has some time to say that, Lord, save me. You see, we don't know that. Years back, my good friend, Mary and I were in Southern California visiting. We were planning to leave. The phone rings, and it was my friend's sister. She was calling my mom to get my phone number in New Mexico because my best friend had an aneurysm, and it was not good. We were there. Praise God. We did not come back home. I went directly to the hospital, and I got to share with him before he died. I said, listen, you and I go back then. We were in a kindergarten. We were together. We went through grade school. We went through high school. And I'm going to be very straight with you. You know I've come to Christ. You know I'm a preacher now. And I'm going to tell you because I love you. I, he says, I said, the doctors have told me you're dying. You need to receive Christ. You can't even speak. His eyes were just, you know, open, glossy. He was just looking. You could see, but nothing was coming out. I says, hold my hand. And I want you to ask Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life. I believe he did that. And I shared that at his funeral. It was God ordained that I was there. And so sometimes we don't understand. And so Paul hears so beautifully as he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now let me give you three verses. Write them down. I don't want you to turn to them. In Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There is an appointed time. Unless the rapture of the church comes for us, there is an appointed time. Each one of us, man, woman, a young person, we will face our maker one day. Now, if the rapture of the church comes, praise God. The second verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. This is a passage of scripture that I usually minister at the gravesides. And if you understand 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is speaking about the resurrection. That's the whole doctrine. And if Jesus rose again from the dead, that's a promise that we will rise one day also. But listen to verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? 
Death has nothing over me. Death has nothing over you. I've chosen, my wife's chosen, uh, we're going to be cremated because it's not about the body. And our ashes, they can scatter them wherever they want. Because that's not me, that's not you. My spirit and soul have gone to be with Jesus. The Bible says when I get to heaven, you get to heaven, we're going to have a new body. Here's the last verse. Job chapter 13, verse 15. But I want to set this up for you. Years ago, I was in a major, major trial here in the ministry. It was kind of a, I come to the crossroads. Am I going to stay in ministry or am I going to leave ministry? Because it was just pounding on my heart. There was a situation and I could not let go. And I had to come to grips. Now, at this time, my dad's still alive. My dad came to know Jesus. We became very good friends. We became very tight. Before Christ, we were totally separated. I, I really had nothing in common with my dad. He had nothing in common with me. But when I came to Saving Grace, I started praying for him. He comes to Saving Grace eventually. I miss today those days that I could call him and we would pray. We would talk. So I was going through my situation. I called him, Dad, this is what's going on. And he prayed with me. And he encouraged me. Two, three days later, I get a letter, and he gives me this verse. He's encouraging me further. Now, you understand Job's life. Job went through everything. He lost everything. And his wife said, look at you're a mess. He had miserable comforters that came and didn't comfort him. And so Job writes this. Chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him him though he slay me yet will i trust him this is what paul is saying for me uh, to live as christ to die is gain can we say that this morning church and if you can't you need to come to the born again experience you need to come to saving grace this is a temporal time that we have on this earth it's very difficult when we have to do a funeral service for a youngster very difficult. I've buried, you know, some young children that after about 10 days after birth, they died. Mom and dad are tore up. The family's tore up. And we go through the ceremony. I've done funerals for 10-year-olds. It's not easy. Now, when you get to be middle-aged and you get to be older, you're almost expecting it. We knew my dad was uh, already getting old and his body was shutting down. My mom is up in age now. And so you're prepared for this. But when it's, you know, when you're not prepared, that's the hard place. And so here's Paul. For me to live as Christ to die is gain. And he's struggling, church. I want you to see that this morning. Look at verse 22. But if I live in this flesh, he's speaking about this body. He says, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell you. He was struggling. If I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. God's still going to keep me in the ministry. Listen to Paul's heart. But I really don't know which is better, to live for Christ or to die for Christ. That is so true. That is so true. When we travel to California... The freeway is treacherous. 
We have seen everything right before our very eyes. We were in a, in, right behind about a 30-car pileup. I, I know the hand of God kept us from there. We were three cars away from that. We've had cars that have passed us at excessive speed, and then we catch up later, and they're rolled over or ran into somebody. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over. I've been driving and, and going the speed limit, and then something in my heart just says, get in the other lane quick. And I don't struggle with that anymore. I move over. And just instantly, this guy just goes by 100-plus miles an hour. Listen to the voice of God. And so here's Paul trying to choose between this statement that Paul is giving here. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Then he says, but to live in this flesh, this will mean fruit uh, from my labor, yet I shall choose. I can't tell you. You see, Paul could say this, and you can say that. Only a believer can say that. Lord, what is it that you have for me? I don't know if you caught this recently in the news, but in Greensville Correctional Center in Jarrett, Virginia, Wednesday, October the 17th, uh, 2007, the U.S. Supreme Court halts execution of a 36-year-old man by the name of Christopher Scott Emmett. He was scheduled for lethal injection. Listen to this, church. This was his third time. And this is the third time he received another stay. I can't imagine what this man is going through. I hope and pray. I, I you know, looked it up in the internet, and I, everything I read, nothing said if he found Christ in prison, in jail. That happens many times. I love to see jail salvations. Now, sometimes uh, these guys can only serve God while they're incarcerated. And praise God, if that's true, then stay there. You don't know how many have come out, and then they drop the ball. I don't need Jesus anymore. I just wanted the gangs away from me. I just wanted the violence away from me. But what about this man here, 36 years old, Christopher Scott Emmett? Imagine every time they said, sorry, you don't have to die now. Relief. Oh, well, you're scheduled again two weeks later. Sorry, you don't have to die again. This guy's going crazy. I'm thinking, I would say, hey, just do me a favor. Put the injection in. I'm tired of this. But does he know Christ? Pray for him. I don't know. I hope and pray that he comes to know the Lord. Yes, he did a crime, and he's going to pay for that crime. You see, this man, Scott, waits on the Supreme Courts to rule. We wait upon Jesus. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Now, be careful that you choose, oh, Lord, just take me home. Lord, what is it that you have for me? I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to leave the grandchildren. I don't want to leave the ministry. I don't want to leave you. But what is it that God has for me? Praise God if he gives us longevity of life. I love it when somebody's in their 80s and 90s. Doesn't happen to everybody. I'm at the age now, and I look at the obituaries. I go, hey, I'm older than this guy. He's dead. <laughs> you start thinking about it. Listen to Paul's heart now. Look at verse 23. 
For I am hard-pressed. This is how much it was on his heart. I am hard-pressed between the two decisions. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Look at verse 24. It goes together. Nevertheless, to remain in this flesh is more needful for you. I don't know what Paul must have been going through. You see, Paul didn't have a wife. He didn't have children that we know of. It's believed that Paul, in order to be in the Sanhedrin, that he had to have been married. We're told historically, and we're not sure, there's no proof on it, that his wife could not handle that Paul went from the Sanhedrin. He was very rich. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Then he gets saved, born again of the Holy Spirit, and he becomes a street preacher, basically. And we know that he's so tense for a living. We know here uh, the church of Philippi collected some funds and they sent it uh, to Paul to, uh, through Epaphroditus. Did Paul's wife divorce him because there was no more money? Did Paul's wife die? We don't know. But Paul had nothing holding him back. But he struggled for the church. Man, to be here is to still minister to you guys. Notice verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in this flesh, in this body, is more needful for you. The word needful is necessary. You see, Paul was an evangelist. Paul was a preacher. Paul was a a church planter. Paul wrote epistles while he was in prison. For me to live as Christ to die is gain. I want to give you a little bit of homework. There's a beautiful story. Go home tonight and study 2 Kings chapter 20. There in 2 Kings, we have a king by the name of Hezekiah. The Bible says that Hezekiah became very ill. In fact, he was in his bed and he was facing the wall, it says. And he cried out to God, Lord, heal me. I don't want to die yet. God heard his cry. Did God change his mind? Was he going to take him home? Listen, if you get sick, pray. Ask the Lord to heal you. But if he chooses to take you home, glory to God. Hezekiah was given, listen, 15 more years. Now I'm going to give you that as homework. You go home, you read that, you study that. And you ask me, did he do the right thing? There are some things that happened in that 15-year span. Did he change God's mind? I don't think so. Sometimes God will give us the desires of our heart. But it's not exactly what he wants for us. So when I pray, when you pray, Lord, what is your will for me? What do you want from me? Lord, you want to take me home? Praise God. Lord, do you want to heal me? Praise the Lord. We have to be open to that church. But Paul was struggling, being incarcerated. He felt trapped. And he said, Lord, I want to serve you. He feared Nero. Nero was going to take his head off. Eventually, in the second time that Paul's incarcerated, there's two incarcerations. The second time, Nero takes his head off. But Paul waited upon the Lord. I want you to turn with me to a passage. We're going to share it this morning. Go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Paul has this assurance uh, of, in life, as we have this assurance, Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, this body's breaking down. Your body is breaking down. 
In fact, the scriptures declare to us the moment that we're born, we begin to die. And so Paul speaks of this assurance. And because of the resurrection, look at verse 1. You should be at 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, he's speaking about his body, this tent, his body, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to be with the Lord. The Bible says that we will receive our glorified bodies. In Matthew chapter 17, uh, we see the transfiguration. There Jesus is in his glorified body, and we see Moses and we see Elijah. And Peter, John, James, they recognize. In fact, Peter wants to make some booths. Peter wants to make some sacrifices. But Jesus was showing them a picture of heaven. This is what you guys are going to be. You're going to put on new bodies. And those of us that are old enough, you understand. <laughs> We're looking for those new bodies. I know you won't believe this, but there was a time I could hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Now, I go, what ball? <laughs> I would never see it. I just feel the wind. <laughs> but the body is breaking down. It's breaking down. Uh, look at verse uh, 2 now. Uh, For this we groan. Paul was saying our bodies groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Our bodies are, are, are looking for that new body. Our, our spirit and our soul, if you may, is looking for that new body. And so this was Paul's position. He understood his frail body. Remember, Paul, we're told that he had an infirmity, that he cried out to the Lord uh, three times to heal him. And God said, no, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for thee. Many believe it was his eyesight. Paul went through a lot of trials, a lot of tribulation. But this groaning within, this crying within, to be clothed in our new body. Look at verse 3, 4. He says, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, once you die, you think it's over with. No, you got a new body coming. When we do funeral service, we, we look at the body. And ver people do various things with the body. Uh, the Hispanic culture, they like to, you know, handle the body. They like to kiss the body. They like to comb the hair. I mean, they do everything. And you can't take that away from them. Their emotions are running, and it's tough. It's not easy to say goodbye. But their body is empty. The spirit and the soul have gone to be with the Lord. Verse 4 says, For we who are in this tent, speaking of this body, grown, being burdened, listen, weighted down. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. In other words, waiting for that new body. We're not looking for death, but we're waiting for that new body. That mortality, listen to the word, that death may be swallowed up by life. What life? Life eternal. You see, it's temporal here on this earth. Man, I want to go home to be with Jesus. But at the same time, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave, uh, you know, the ministry. I don't want to leave the church. But what is God's plan for me? What is God's plan for you? And this question is always brought up. What happens when a Christian commits suicide? I don't know the answer. But the Bible says your life is not for you to take it. Your life belongs to the Lord. 
And so it is a difficult place. Look at verse 5 now. He goes on, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is the Lord, is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I know that when I die, I'll go home to be with the Lord. The Bible has assured me. The Holy Spirit has assured me. I know. Let me give you three verses that are very pertinent here. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we have been sealed unto the day of our redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, God has sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You know, when we buy something, basically, uh, before you leave the building, they stamp the approval on it. And sometimes you have to have that in order to get out the door because of shoplifting. And so basically, you have been stamped with approval, and that stamp is the Holy Spirit. And so God knows us, and God knows you. And so what a beautiful place that Paul's speaking of here. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is my guarantee, is your guarantee. That's my assurance. Look at verse 6. So we always... He says, are always confident, the word is assured, knowing that while we are at home in this body, this frail body, we are absent from the Lord. These tents that we live in keep us away from God in his presence. Oh, I have access to the Lord. I can pray. I believe by faith. But I'm not before him physically. I can't see him. I can't touch him. Because this body, this tent, separates us. This earthly tent. Peter says we're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. Listen to verse 7 and 8 now. For we walk by faith, church, not by sight. We are confident. There's that word assurance. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. This is what Paul was struggling with. Man, it's more profitable for me to be here with you. I want to teach you the word of God. But the greatest profit would be to be with Jesus. Imagine standing in the presence of God, basking in his glory. He's giving you the new body. And then all of a sudden... Your family's praying, the pastors are praying, everybody's praying, and then the Lord says, well, I need to send you back. And you're thinking, oh, this is great, send me back. And you go back and you go, what was I thinking? Man, I had it made in heaven. This is Hezekiah. Lord, give me some more time. Lord, what is your will for my life? Death is beautiful when you see it, if they're believers in Christ. A couple of years back, I was here in the ministry, and a dear brother, we were dealing with his mom. His mom had been very sick, and I had gone to pray for her many times. She had been up in the hospital, and finally she was in hospice uh, care at the house, and we were doing the first service. I just finished. They had an emergency call, told me to call him. I did. I called him in between the services. And he says, Bob, mom's dying. All the family's here. We want you to come uh, right after the service. 
and to pray for mom. And I says, okay. And I asked the Lord, Lord, give me some time. Give me some time that I might get home for them, for their sake. And so I rushed out of here right after the second service and drove over there. It's about three, four miles from here. And uh, walked in. Everybody's in her bedroom. And she's gasping for air. And it's just so painful to watch somebody uh, striving. And I just laid hands on her quickly, and I prayed for her. And it was a simple prayer. It was a quick prayer. And I said, Lord, if you choose to take her home, take her home. And she took a deep breath, and it just came down, and that was it. It freaked me out. I did not want to pray for anybody for a long time after that. I says, man, that was, that was weird. Yes, we pray by faith and everything, but it just takes you over. They were rejoicing. They were crying. And I'm going, oh, what did I do? God has a plan, church. We just have to be open to what he has to say. And we lay hands on the sick and we pray for them. And I don't expect somebody to give their last breath. I expect for them, Lord, I said, why didn't you wait till I left the room or something? <laughs> Years ago at one of our conferences, one of the pastors went up there and shared. And he goes, I know you guys go to the hospitals and you pray for everybody. And he says, and all of a sudden, one of my elders came up to me and said, hey, you realize that the last... 17, 18 people you've prayed for, they've died. And all of a sudden, he starts worrying about this. And so he goes and prays for number 19 now, and number 19 dies. And now it's affecting him. And so a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, number 20 calls. Pastor, come and pray for so-and-so. Uh, they're dying. And he went and prayed. But before he prayed, he says, before I pray, let me share with you my track record. Since 19 of them before you have died, gone home to be with the Lord. You want me to pray? And number 20 went home to be with the Lord. And so pretty much his church knew when you called him, you better be ready. And in a sense, what a beautiful track record that everybody he did pray for went home to be with the Lord. And so when we pray, what is it, Lord? What is your will? Like Paul said, for me to live right now, I want to live for Christ. But to die... It's my gain. It's my profit. I go home to be with the Lord. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 25. And being confident, there's that word again, of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. The word confident here is the word assurance also. But Vine's Dictionary translated, I am convinced of this very thing. I will continue with you so that you will grow and experience the joy of your faith. So Paul was in prison. I believe by now the Holy Spirit spoken to him. Lord, it's, uh, Paul, it's not this time that you're going to die. We know in the second imprisonment, uh, he was short in, in his imprisonment the second time. And then Nero took his head off. We know that historically. And so Paul, I, I think he received that peace in his own heart. But look at verse 26 now. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul's expectation that he would see them again. Listen to the word rejoice. It can also be translated rejoice or boast with me. Because when I return to you, he's going to get out of that imprisonment after two years. When I return to you, it will abound or increase 
in what Christ has done for me. God was going to take care of the whole situation. Paul understood this. Now, look at the word boasting or the word that we see here, rejoicing. Bind's Dictionary of Greek Words says this, speaking here in exalting language of another. And so Paul was lifting up Christ, and it was to his glory. Whatever happened in his life, not Paul, whatever happened, God's in charge, church. That's what he was telling uh, the Philippians. Now, verse 27 through the conclusion, Paul goes back to this place of suffering that we spoke of last week. Now, we know that Paul was shipwrecked. We know that Paul was beaten. We know that in one of the cities, Paul was lowered outside of a basket. We know that Paul suffered greatly in the hands, sometimes, of his own countrymen. And so Paul understood pain. But this incarceration affected him. Look at verse 27. He says, Only let your conduct uh, be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent from you, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving uh, together uh, for the faith, he says, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a King James... It uses the word conversation. And the best translation is, uh, that we have here is the word conduct or your behavior or your manner of life. I like that. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, if I'm there with you or if I'm absent as, as I am right now. That's what he's speaking of. May I hear of your affairs. Listen to what he's telling the church at Philippi. May I hear of your affairs where you're standing right now. Uh, currently in Christ. That's what he's saying. That you would stand fast. Perseverance is the translation. In the Holy Spirit, with one mind, the mind of Christ. But listen to the word striving. It's an athletic term. Contending. Wrestling. Together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thayer's Dictionary of Greek words says, the translation here is better understood. Joined, conf joined in the conflict. This is this contending together. Joined in the conflict for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, training at it. Working at it. We know what an athlete has to go through in order to prepare for the games, whatever it might be. Well, what about the Christian? Do we contend? Listen. In prayer, do we contend in worship? Do we contend in the study of God's word? That's what we're doing here this morning. And the worship and the praise that we did earlier. Do we contend by witnessing of our faith? Do we contend, listen to this, with the love that God has given us, that we can share that same love with others? This is the whole concept of striving. Oh, Paul loved the church at Philippi. And he spoke to them clearly in this letter. And praise God, look at the years later. This letter still speaks to us. Look at verse 28. And not in any way terrified, fear, by your adversaries, the enemy, 
which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation that is from God. Don't be afraid. Whatever the situation you're in, maybe you're not in house arrest like Paul. Maybe you're not up in the hospital like our brother in Christ. Maybe you're not going through an illness, an infirmity, an infraction. Maybe you don't have the cancer like one of our sisters does for the third time, and she's taking chemotherapy again. But we all have our situations. We all have our trials. Don't be afraid, terrified, frightened by what the enemy those that oppose you. It's proof, listen, of their perdition. The word perdition here, it's proof of their destruction. But to you, it's eternal life. God is the one who saves, Paul's saying to you. I'm the messenger. And whatever you're going through, let it be for the glory of God. Interesting, Judas Iscariot was given that title. He was called the son of perdition the son of destruction. Some of you have had family, friends, loved ones that have been perdition to you. I've had people in the ministry that have been perdition to me. And church, you have to learn to let it go and to pray. The Bible says pray for your enemies. Well, if you go to the Psalms, you will read King David's prayers for his enemy. Lord, break their cheekbones. Lord, break their bones. Paul never held back. Whatever you have to do to save them, do it, Lord. Sometimes we pray too soft. Lord, please save them. No, break them, Lord. Bring them to the cross. And so be careful what you're going through. The enemy wants to terrify you. Trust God. Again, go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 29 now. For to you it has been granted or given to you, he's speaking to the church at Philippi, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a hard concept. We know that Christ suffered, but it's a hard concept when I suffer, when you suffer. I don't like pain, you don't like pain. Maybe it's not a physical pain, but I don't like emotional pain either. I don't like financial pain. Who does? And so we go through these things. I don't like the pain of anxiety. I don't like the pain of, I don't want to get out of bed today. But we go through these. These are things that Christians are made of. Some get it more than others, and some are stronger than others. It's interesting how you watch the body of Christ, and you see this brother going through this. You see this sister going through this. And if you were to flip it, it would be taken care of. But God has it for a reason and a purpose. And this is why Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul, listen to what he's saying here in verse 29. Having been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also given the privilege of suffering for him. That's what he's saying in the text. Paul counted it joy uh, to suffer for Christ. James chapter 1, uh, we're told, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Paul told Silas, these trials that we're going through, Silas, are but light afflictions. Listen to what Peter writes. 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We're told historically that when Peter died, his martyred death, he was also crucified. But that he asked not to be crucified like his Lord upright. He wanted to be crucified upside down. Because he felt that he was not worthy to die as Jesus died. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us about the suffering uh, of the early church. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of the faith chapter, uh, how much some of those suffered. Some of you, your testimonies speak of itself, the suffering. I want you to listen to these two verses here. They're so profound. We've shared them many times over. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Paul is sharing here with the church at Rome, we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we're heirs of his kingdom. And if we are children of God and we are heirs of God, we will suffer with him. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I know because I know. You know because you know. Because Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. But listen to verse 17. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and here's the last part of the statement, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So if Jesus suffered, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Let's go back to the conclusion of our text this morning. Verse 30 says, having the same conflict, having the same struggle, this same contention, this same fight, which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul knew that the church at Philippi knew his struggles. Paul knew that they knew that he was suffering. Even that frustrated Paul. The New Living Translation of verse 30 says, We are in this fight together, church. You have seen me suffer, Paul says, for him, speaking of Christ, in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of struggle in these chains. The trials I've gone through, the trials you've gone through, I, I've never been imprisoned for them. I've never been shackled to a guard for them. The trials I see uh, our loved ones here in this church through the cancer, through the chemotherapy, through broken marriages, it's never happened to me, so I don't understand it. But we hurt for the body of Christ. We hurt with their pain. Now, Paul is writing this beautiful letter to the Philippians. I want you to turn back with me. We're going to conclude here. Go to Acts chapter 16. And we want to just read a portion of this. I would encourage you to read the whole context, but just for time's sake. In verse 22 through 25, now let me just set it up. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are placed into this dungeon. First of all, they're beaten and then placed into this 
arrest. They're put into uh, stocks. Listen to what Paul says. He begins in verse 22, Acts chapter 16. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. This was the law there in Philippi that came against Paul and Silas. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Listen, all this for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not like they committed a crime by stealing or, or killing or, or causing a riot. For preaching the gospel, their backs are open. They're in stocks. Now, listen to verse 25. But at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing uh, praises, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I read passages like this, and I, I say, Lord, forgive me, but I don't think I could do that. If I was Silas, I'd be looking over at Paul and saying, thanks a lot, Paul. Oh, let's go do some ministry and nothing's going to happen. Look at my back, Paul. <laughs> it's not easy, church. Now, let me just close this portion up. After they were singing praises unto God at midnight, an earthquake comes, the prison doors open, the jailer, assuming that they had escaped, was about to kill himself. Then Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're still here. The jailer was subject, if he lost a prisoner, such as Paul and Silas, they possibly escaped because they heard the earthquake. He would have to take their term. He would even have to be killed because he lost these prisoners. But because of what Paul and Silas went through, it was a testimony to that jailer. It's the beautiful story about the Philippian jailer that comes to know Christ. We know that in the text, uh, the Philippian jailer says, Hey, what must I do to be saved? Paul led him to the Lord. And the Bible says that the jailer's family also came to the Lord. And so, church, a lot of times what I'm going through, what you're going through, count it all joy. Give it to the glory of God. Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this. Lord, this is not fair. But, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, let it be a testimony. Let it be a witness of your great love, Lord. You see, because, again, all things work together for good to those that love God to those that are called by his purpose. I might not understand it, but God does. Remember Job, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul knew his position. I pray this morning that we would know our position also. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much just for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy. Lord, we have all dealt with death at one time or another. Let us go home and study what happened uh, to Hezekiah. And Lord, we ask that you bless each and every one here this morning. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.